This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hello, and welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm Keith Albertson, Managing Editor of ISE Magazine here at IISE. Today, we're going to talk about ergonomics from A to Z, both in terms of the many challenges ergonomists faced in the past year when the COVID-19 pandemic forced workplaces to adapt, but also a look at how these changes will affect the future of workplace safety. We've explored these topics in the March issue of ISE Magazine, and you'll hear more about them at the upcoming Applied Ergonomics Conference set for March 22nd through 25th. Our guests are Gary Allred, Program Director for SRI Ergonomics at The Ohio State University. He is a newly elected president of the Applied Ergonomics Society. Also joining us is Ben Zavitz, President and Chief Ergonomist for Ergo Human Performance and the current president of AES. Gentlemen, welcome. Before we talk about the the various ways ergonomists have adapted in the past year, and there have been quite a few, it's been a, a, a constant discussion, I know, among those in AES. Tell us about your own experiences. We've all had to deal with this in some way or another. Tell us about how you had to adjust your own work habits and schedule and, and how it affected your teams. Ben, we'll start with you. All right. Thanks, Keith. Um, yeah, really excited to do this podcast with Gary. So, um, yeah, I think that the, over the last year, it's been definitely a challenge for a lot of us, um, especially balancing that whole, you know, work life family dynamic. Um, you know, everybody's at home. Both spouses are working. Kids are doing remote learning. They're at schools. Um, it's created a lot of challenges, everything from, you know, physical office spaces. You know, do we have desks? Do we have chairs? You know, good ergonomic setup, Wi-Fi, bandwidth issues. There's privacy issues with rooms, with doors. Um, you have kids needing assistance and parents acting as, you know, teachers while they're trying to work. So that's created a lot of challenges, at least within my home environment here. Um, so a few things we've learned is, you know, to be more flexible and kind of build these disruptions into your normal daily routine. Um, so one of the challenges with that is you need to kind of adjust your hours of work, right? So your traditional, you know, nine to five work hours has expanded to hours beyond that, maybe before that. Um, to build these, you know, disruptions into into that workday. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, uh, Keith. I, I I concur a lot with what uh, Ben was talking about. I think with uh, me, um, my work schedule, I felt that uh, I was pretty regimented in in how I uh, did my pre-COVID work, and I think I've learned a lot about um, also how to be more. Uh, flexible in balancing uh, work and life and and how I I think it has really helped my own mental health to be able to, um, you know, mix up some, you know, some personal activities within my workday and perhaps my workday is longer than it was, but it um, balances out in terms of the um, uh, way in which I've been able to really, you know, um, be much more flexible and, um, I've, I've really kind of enjoyed it. You know, I, I've gotten used to uh, working from home and um, having this 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 balance and and pretty comfortable with it. So I, actually, I think for me, it's going to be um, a challenge if and when I go back to uh, working in the office full time or close to full time. 
And for ergonomists, it's the double-edged sword because you have to deal with your own situation, but you're also, uh, as ergonomists do, help other people with their workplace situation. And that's posed many, many challenges. We've, we've heard about how difficult it is to do so remotely. Tell us about, just from an ergonomist standpoint, how do you keep people safe? How do you help them do the things they need to do when you can't be right there with them and observe what they're doing as, as, as the usual practice? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Right, Keith, right? So as ergonomists, we're used to that face-to-face interaction, right? We physically go out into a workplace, we interact with folks, we observe what they're doing. And now with COVID, we can't do that. So how do we, you know, best keep people safe um, when we can't be there present? Um, so I think I think one thing that we're kind of seeing is a maybe a trend is more embracement of technology, right? Um, people are working remotely. Um, so there's also online coaching, there's interactions are, are becoming more common. Um, so as an example, we can't go on site to collect data, but so what can we do, right? Can we use some sort of video conferencing technology and have somebody else collect that data with us where we can remote in and almost be a coach and, and you know, ask them to, you know, take different views of a workplace or, you know, uh, ask questions of employees and, and try to collect that data for us where we coach them along the, along the way. Um, so we're, we're seeing a lot of that right now where, where people are using that sort of approach to, um, you know, to do ergonomic evaluations remotely. And I see this as, as, as really an opportunity. Uh, one of the uh, services that, that my organization provides is um, education and training for uh, professionals. And so we um, host um, ergonomics training, um, which has been at, at our university. And now we are transitioning to uh, remote uh, distance learning uh, through technology platforms. And in developing that and transitioning a pretty well-established uh, you know, training curriculum to, you know, digital format actually has opened up a lot of opportunities. I'm, I'm really excited, uh, even though um, we may not be uh, interacting um, in person. Um, I, I think that the, the training opportunities for teaching ergonomic principles um, is going to be just as powerful through this remote technology and really uh, allows us to, I think, develop uh, some more personalized uh, ways to you know, transfer this knowledge to you know, actual participants um, uh, needs. And, and so, um, I I'm excited about the ability to, to do, um, this type of service to, to provide this education for, for ergonomists in, in a new way. Yeah. It sounds like the, um, the, the ISC practice of, uh, continuous improvement, uh, that you're learning from the situation. Is there anything that really surprised either one of you, something that you learned from this experience that maybe that you didn't expect, but that is going to be very useful going forward? Yeah, I, I think for what I had just mentioned is probably the, my biggest surprise is really a lot of trepidation, trepidation I had um, uh, about developing a remote course that that will be useful, I, I think, in this age of COVID. But but afterwards, I, I really felt that, you know, the, this training that uh, we've developed w- would suffer as a result. But I think it actually can be just as good, if not better. Yeah. And, and to kind of piggyback on that, um, I, I think the digital training is, is going to is really important and it's going to take a different um, approach is compared to live training um, where people actually have to show up in a classroom. They're, you know, they're hundred percent engaged. 
Um, that's always been a challenge where people are trying to balance work, especially if you do training on site at, at, the, at the company. They're, they're checking their emails. They're responding to things. They're not really 100% engaged in the training sometimes. And I think with this digital platform, it gives people flexibility to do that training kind of on their schedule, right? So maybe they could take, you know, I'll call it chapter one of the training, put everything aside, and then come back to chapter two at a different time. Yeah, maybe even a different day. So they can get this, this learning uh, kind of on their own schedule. Um, the other thing, too, I, th- I, th- I think with technology is, you know, there, there's a lot of AI, a lot of wearable technology. You know, it's sort of the sexy thing right now. Everybody's talking about it prior to COVID. But I think now with COVID, that may change. And, and kind of what I'm predicting is that you're going to see a lot more of that at a lower level. So we can use video. We can do AI assessments from video to screen jobs without having your ergonomists go out and do all of this work. Um, same thing with wearable technology. I'm, gonna, I'm envisioning that the, the technology is going to become cheaper. You're going to have simpler wearable devices that can also collect some of this you know, basic level screening of jobs uh, to help kind of prioritize where those jobs are. And then your ergonomists can come in after the fact and using that data to, um, to really do a deep dive into the problem jobs, if you will. When it comes to home office or, or office adjustment, which so many of us have had to to deal with, as you mentioned, we have the physical side. Our offices are all designed for our safety and comfort. Uh, we have desks and chairs and lighting and ventilation that are all part of the work environment. Now you've got people going to all their various homes where every environment's different. There's no standards. And in addition to trying to get the physical workplace better for people, they're having to deal with mental and emotional issues. And Ben, as you mentioned, there's so many distractions, children and pets and people teaching from home. How do you deal with the mental aspects of helping employees go through this, which I guess in some ways is probably a, a lot harder, isn't it? You know, not that that's necessarily harder. I, I think that as ergonomists, we need to you know, look at work situations holistically, which involves, you know, addressing, you know, physical issues as well as cognitive or, or mental or psychosocial issues. And uh, when we, we've talked a lot uh, about setting up home workstations, I, I think that our default for many of us has just been focusing on one, one aspect of that, which has been, you know, the physical setup. But holistically, uh, we should be dealing with, you know, the, the, the perceptions and uh, the mental aspects of remote work and how it impacts individuals in, in some ways differently. I think any... Um, you know, set up any recommendations or guidelines that are, are given for appropriate home workstation setup should include um, the, these perceptions and, and how people are going to psychologically react to the work as well as physically. Yeah, I agree with that too. That this, that you know, the whole human interaction piece is, is really missing with this, you know, remote work. Um, you know, people are used to going to the offices, you know, going out for lunch, you know, going to conference rooms, um, you know, even getting away from their desk. They go to a, a meeting, then they come back to their desk. Um, and now, you know, if I can use the term, we have death by Zoom call, right? You're just constantly sitting in front of your computer. It's meeting after meeting and there's there's no movement. There's no sort of that human interaction and there's, you know, no up and down and 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 that sort of thing going on which creates a lot of challenges, um, you know, the constant sitting, obviously, but also a lot of the, the vision type issues, right? You're constantly staring at the same screen all the time at the same distance. Um, 
So we're, so I'm seeing some things like that where people are having you know vision problems and you know headaches and some of these other things. So I think like Gary mentioned is you know, how do we build that social piece back into it? Um, and you know is there is there ways around that where um, you know companies can start to build that into part of the workday and and create that sort of atmosphere of you know how do we get that human interaction back into this remote world that we have. And some managers I've seen have done a good job at that uh, by scheduling perhaps, you know, virtual coffee breaks or virtual happy hours or other things that in a normal world, um, you know, office colleagues would be doing um, to, um, you know, address the social uh, issue uh, and and ways to use technology to um, try to simulate that in some way, uh, probably to varying levels of success. But I, I think it is reflective of really uh, ways to, to try to incorporate that social aspect into uh, remote work. And a lot of this may be here to stay. I mean, we've seen uh, various surveys show how a lot of people like working from home and many businesses are uh, allowing employees to do this on a much greater scale than before. Are we going to see this even once the pandemic has has faded to some point where there are a lot more people working from home? And if so, how do ergonomists and, and sort of the ergonomics industry adjust to that to help people do a better job of it, to pick out the right kind of office and to do deal with all these problems? Is this going to be a whole kind of uh, aspect of ergonomics uh, in the future? I think it is. I, I think remote working from home is here to stay. As you already mentioned, some of the, some of the surveys and some of the data that we're seeing is, you know, people want to work from home, you know, at least two days a week, um, you know, maybe more in some cases. Um, and I have some companies I work with where, you know, engineers and other folks will literally go into the workplace, get the information they need, and then come back to home and then, you know, do sort of the heads down work at home uh, where they're, you know, they're finding they're very productive um, with less distractions with people walking around and that, um, that side of it. Um, so I think, I think one of the things that comes up is, you know, this whole home, you know, office workstation setup is here to stay. So a lot of companies are starting to realize is, you know, the do it yourself type solutions are not really going to be a long-term solution. So they're providing resources for that, whether it be, you know, remote evaluations for, you can evaluate individuals, um, but also standardizing on equipment and, and sort of setups and here's recommended equipment for these types of setups and, uh, and really trying to, you know, coach employees through, here's really what we expect of you when you, if you're going to work from home. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, this, this remote work, uh, even on a, you know, a, a part-time basis is really analogous to what we see um, in organizations where they've tested four 10-hour workdays as opposed to five eight-hour workdays. And uh, in many cases, that's really favored by employees because it does provide them a bit more flexibility. And I think that with uh, this remote work, like Ben was talking about, uh, where there is more flexibility to, to work from home for more days, I think that also will be uh, viewed favorably, uh, I think that the the issue of how productive people are um, really is going to dictate if this becomes a long term trend, and if managers see that you know they're maintaining um, productivity among their workers uh, who are doing this remotely, then then I think that that's 
uh, something that can be beneficial in, in lots of different ways, I, I think, as a way to balance uh, work and, and home life. Um, that, that transition, though, I think from an ergonomics perspective and, and a physical ergonomics perspective really will call for more permanent solutions for equipment that uh, is being used um, to to make it more ergonomically friendly uh, and, and comfortable. Um, just, you know, putting your computer on a, a box to raise it up isn't going to be a good long term solution. Uh, and so I, I think that the recommendations that ergonomists um, are giving for those who are working more remotely are going to need to be a bit more uh, involved and companies are going to have to realize that they're going to have to invest uh, some more into creating these uh, home workstations that are going to be helpful for employees. And of course, not everybody can work in an office and not everybody can work remotely. There are quite a few workers and, and a lot of jobs that involve having to be on site, which is a whole different challenge uh, during the pandemic. Uh, you've got people in manufacturing, warehouses, distribution. And, you know, in particular, we've seen um, with with e-commerce uh, just just booming while people are, are, are shopping from home. Somebody's got to be in warehouses handling all this. And that's created new challenges there for uh, social distancing and keeping people safe. We've also seen stories about how uh, companies that use robotics and, and advanced automation are maybe accelerating that uh, because of the lack of workers or safety for workers. And Ben, you talked about the wearables as well. How are we going to see this continue to grow going forward? Are we going to see more and more automation for these kind of on-site jobs as a way to keep people safe? I, I'm not so sure yet. Um, I'm not convinced yet that the um, the two are um, that related. Um, I think that you know certainly in the short term, uh, needing to physically separate um, employees to help combat the virus may, makes sense. Um, I think that the the issues with you know assistive technology, um, you know robots and stuff. I think that's uh, you know, there are other benefits if implemented correctly. Um, uh, there are to you know production environments, and so um, I, I think that that's going to advance for a lot of reasons, um, irrespective of you know what what implications COVID might bring to the workplace. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with that too. Is um, a lot of times we try to push automation or robots, um, but they have a very specific purpose, right? And, and generally, they're they're good for either repetitive work. Um, that humans will break down doing or things that humans can't do, like lifting heavy things or, you know, you know, different types of welding applications or whatever that may be. Um, but just to have a, a robot or some technology that can do something um, that a human can do very easily um, is not necessarily the right answer, in my opinion. Um, I think it's that balancing between, you know, what technology do we want to use and how best do we fit it into the environment with the human interaction piece of it um, and how do humans interact with technology to create these, you know, efficient systems, whether it be in warehousing or manufacturing or wherever they may be. Yeah. And that's something we've seen as well that, that you know, the, the use of AI and industry 4.0 still needs that human touch. You can only go so far with the automation at this point that the way humans think is obviously different from machines and that you really need both in sort of a symbiotic way to be able to get the right amount of production. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, because you got to remember, like a lot of the a lot of the AI is is machine learning, right? So you're teaching a machine to think like a human, and humans are very complex in their thinking and processing data. So, um, so training machines to do that um, obviously takes time and effort, and you need that you know that human there to kind of almost verify you know some of the things that they're seeing. So you're using the AI to empower you to get to the data quicker, but then the human can use that data to make a decision. Yeah, and and I think that um, the at the upcoming conference, our keynote speaker John Lee is going to be touching on some of uh, these issues, and, and so I, I think that um, you know I would defer some of, of of these questions to to Dr. Lee because I think that he'll uh, being an expert you know, on uh, this um, topics uh, specifically uh, will teach us a lot about how um, accepting humans are going to be of um, working more closely with automation and and robotics um, as that technology continues uh, to develop in the future. And now each of you um, are also presenting at the Applied Ergonomics Conference. Tell us a little about the the work and the research you've done and what you're going to be offering to those who are uh, attending. I think, Ben, you had touched on some of the wearables. That's going to be one of your presentations, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, the title of the presentation is actually Stop Observing and Start Measuring and Moving Ergonomics into Industry 4.0, you know, using AI, wearable technology and big data. Um, and, and kind of the whole gist of the, of the presentation is we, we have this technology, but a lot of times we're, we're dumbing down the technology into, you know, simple risk assessments. So, so what we're going to be talking about is how do we take this very uh, fast data and then how do we do more with it using, you know, more advanced analysis, more, you know, dynamic, you know, biomechanical modeling and, and using those data sets to do, be more predictive. Um, and really kind of help us pinpoint what exactly is is going on here in, in these work uh, environments. Gary, what about you? Well, when um, I submitted a proposal to uh, give a talk for this year's conference you know, back you know, late summer, um, I was thinking that it would be interesting to uh, talk about lessons we've learned from the the pandemic, uh, assuming that it would be well behind us by March of 2021, uh, which is not quite the case. Uh, So I think that's been uh, a lesson learned in itself, but also um, I'm excited to, to give this talk because I've thought a lot about um, how, um, you know, ergonomics has been impacted or ergonomists have contributed uh, to um, the the COVID pandemic and what are some, you know, pros and cons. To me, one of the most interesting aspects as I've thought about this, and and I'll be talking about it during the the presentation, is um, thinking about, and I've looked into data on how um, different countries have reacted to the pandemic, um, how they've structured their response to uh, the virus. And um, I believe that some companies have uh, done a much better job at protecting their citizens than than other countries have. And in looking at the policies and the practices 
that have been put into place among those countries that have had very low uh, COVID transmission rates. Um, I think that those policies are very reflective of a successful and sustainable ergonomics process. And so one of the things I'm talking about uh, in, in my session really is how analogous some of these um, government policies have been to really what is uh, been found to be, you know, very successful ergo programs that help companies um, protect workers and maintain productivity. And it's important for ergonomists and everyone to be able to share those best practices and, and kind of share everything they've learned. Uh, you're both members of the Applied Ergonomic Society board as the current and incoming president. Teresa Bellinger is our past president and other members of the board. What are some of the ways AES has tried to help its members deal with this situation, share ideas, and help everyone get through it as the situation has unfolded in the last year? Yeah, well, one of the the things that I, I think that um, AES has done a good job of is providing information through our monthly newsletters. And, you know, over the last year, we have uh, provided resources uh, for companies, um, highlighted the, the work that IISE uh, is doing and information that they have provided. We have uh, touched on many uh, topics that um, would be helpful to uh, our members. Uh, whether it was some of the higher level uh, issues of transitioning to temporary uh, homework or um, as he started um, having employees come back to work and they may be deconditioned, how to um, integrate that uh, knowledge into uh, ramping back up to, to work. Um, we've uh, presented information in the newsletters related to uh, the the aspects of uh, wearing masks during, um, you know, working in a production environment. Um, what are some lessons that uh, ergonomists themselves have learned or have dealt with um, as they have um, you know, tried to do the, their work uh, in a pandemic where there have been, you know, other priorities, you know, uh, trying to reduce human trauma hasn't necessarily been a, a priority when you're dealing with, you know, trying to, uh, you know, prevent transmission of a virus. And so, you know, how do ergonomists contribute in an environment when a pandemic is going on? So uh, that's one way I think that AES has done a good job of, of trying to convey information that could be useful for its members. Yeah, and I would agree with that is the newsletter is, is kind of seems to be the key of, of what AES is doing right now is like as Gary mentioned is, you know, timely topics, you know, um, interviews with practitioners, here's how they're coping with things, here's things they're working on, um, you know, sort of those those trends and, and how we're adapting and how we're coping with that and, and, and really kind of where we're going, right, where the industry as a whole is going, um, we're trying to stay abreast of that and, and, and again, publish that in the newsletters. Um, you know, obviously offer some webinars and, and things of that nature. And then the other thing we've done uh, recently is really kind of updating the website, really trying to get, you know, some of this knowledge that we've have, we've had over the years or, or we're putting together is and making that available. Um, so something as simple as, as the Ergo Cups, right, is, um, which is a highlight of the Applied Ergonomics Conference every year. But again, taking some of that information and and making that available over the over the previous years to to the members, so they can actually go in and, and look at that and and search for that and 
I think, you know, just trying to, to create that, that ergonomics community that, you know, we're all in this together. Right. And then there's people out here that are, you know, probably dealing with the same things that you are. And, and it's just a way for people to connect uh, with, with other folks that are experiencing the same things. All right. Great. Well, uh, thanks so much for your time and your expertise. Anything that either one of you would like to add for our listeners? I certainly hope that uh, people listening have an opportunity to uh, attend the the conference. I think that, again, has been uh, part of the theme of this podcast is the uh, benefit that, that we can get from using technology to communicate with one another. And I think that um, what I've seen from the uh, conference organizers, they put together a pretty good program here that even though it's going to be remote, um, is going to be filled with a lot of really uh, helpful information from the uh, from the sessions, from the keynote, and from what Ben was saying from the Ergo Cups. So uh, I'm certainly looking forward to the conference. Yeah, and I would highlight that too. If, if everybody has an opportunity to attend the conference, um, this year is going to be very different than last year. I think last year a lot of companies or a lot of conferences struggled with how do you do a virtual conference? Well, it's been a year now. Um, and so we've kind of figured that out, right? Here's the technology. This is how you can use it. This is how you can create that um, sort of that live conference feel. So, so this year we're going to use a couple of different technologies. Uh, but one of them in particular lets you have uh, meeting rooms where you can actually go in and interact with people on smaller scales and you can come and go throughout meeting rooms. So it, it creates almost like a, like a live you know, discussion where people can come and go and interact with very specific individuals um, after their talks. So that's something that's going to be definitely different and unique this year. Um, so I'm looking forward to that and, and how that's going to work. Well, we look forward to seeing both of you and, and we hope everyone there coming up March 22nd through 25th. You can find out more about the conference, get the program and the schedule at isc.org slash AEC. Gary and Ben, thanks so much for being with us today and sharing your ideas and expertise. And we look forward to hearing more of you in the future. And thanks to everyone for listening. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.